Section 7 of Stories in Black and White. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. The Ghost of the Past by Mrs. E. Lynn Linton. We all have our times of supernest bliss, our days of intensest brilliancy. They may be as short-lived as a morning glory, or they may last as long as a summer garden. But there they are times when we are absolutely content, when we see no clouds on the horizon, and forget the storms that lie behind us. Days when the flaming sword is sheathed, and the gates of Eden stand open, and we walk through the meadows of Asphodel and Amaranth, believing in their everlasting beauty, peace, and fragrance. The glory of fulfilled ambition makes this time for some, and honor close the sky with stars that dazzle as they shine. But love, dear love, is the sun itself, and gives us the sweetest and most exquisite of all our joys. Love, dear love, what can equal it for the soul's delight? It combines in itself all the lustrous hues of life. It is the chord wherein sound all its loveliest harmonies. It transforms poverty to wealth, and it builds that divine city of enchantment, where the queen is always fair, and the prince is always young. It is the gladdest minister, if also the cruelest master of man. When we love and are beloved, we sit with the gods on the hill of heaven. When we love and are not beloved, through change, satiety, or death, we are cast down into hell with Lucifer and the fallen angels. Meantime, while we are young, while the sun shines and the heart beats high, and kisses are still fresh to the lips, while the roses are in bud, and before the silver streaks the gold, the gods are our friends, and earth is our paradise. We love and are beloved, and there is no death nor sorrow in the world. Had his sensations been put into form, Hubert Gainsborough would have seen something like this written on the sands over which the tide was swiftly flowing, washing away those intertwined initials which he had just drawn on the level beach. He knew that this was their golden hour, and that he and Naomi would never be more blessed than they were now. No, not even when the final sacrament had separated them from the world and given them to each other for that wonderful moon which love makes of honey, and all that is not love turns to gall. Everything was in their favor, and their coming marriage was one in which the most critical, the most censorious, could find no flaw. It was as smooth as satin, and clear as crystal. Fortune, station, health, ages, not a crooked straw was on their path. 
not a leaf of nightshade presaged the coming of the deadly witch of misfortune naomi had no other fancy by which to compare her lover to his disadvantage and hubert had buried out of sight all his he had sown his wild oats and the sack was now empty and yet the harvest bitter enough at the time was it really all stacked and garnered might not some aftermath crop up again when least expected the passover is vitiated for the pious jew if but one measure of leaven remains whatever the passover of the fates who pursue of the vengeance which strikes if aught of that bitter harvest of youthful folly remains why did the thought of her suddenly cross his mind at this moment why did naomi's bended neck make him slightly shiver as if a cold wind had passed over him gorgeous burning summer-time as it was as she stooped her head looking into the little pool where the sea-flowers had read out their colored rays the sunlight caught the fringe at the back of her neck and the brown of her hair was brightened into gold a sudden longing to kiss those feathery little curls flushed him like a fever and then a thought checked his impulse and made his blood run cold as if a wandering ghost had touched him as it passed the last time he kissed a woman's neck there at the back he had been sitting as now on the sands of the seashore but it had been in france at that glaring garish trovi not in a leafy little home bay in devonshire and instead of naomi ponsonby pledged to be his wife before the year was out his companion had been the beautiful american mariquita delmare with whom there had never been a question of marriage for was not that burly black-bearded crop-haired man who once a week came down to see her and of whom she was evidently so much afraid auguste delmare and her husband all the same wife as she was or seemed to be hubert had loved this woman with the intensity of a young man's first serious passion and when his enlightenment came nothing but the anger of contempt had saved him from the heartbreak of despair but why should he think of her now as things had shaped themselves in his life it was a kind of sacrilege to remember her at all to be actively reminded of her by naomi was blasphemous naomi saw the change in her lover's face it was as if a cloud had come over the sun not being a woman of obtrusive sympathy nor of inquisitive affection instead of speaking or asking why she laid her hand on his with a caressing touch that told all she wished to say it was such a gentle tender little touch so womanly in its sympathy but yet so almost childish in its ignorance of the reason why it was to hubert what the harp of david was to saul the cloud passed the wandering ghost vanished mariquita Dalmer faded into the void of nothingness and all that hubert saw was naomi ponsonby sitting there in the sunlight beside him the angel whom the gods had given to bless and beautify his life the divine maiden so soon to become his dear wife he took her hand and kissed it what a beautiful hand it was 
those long taper fingers and that generous palm expressed her character in its mixture of idealistic morality and human tenderness by the one she held a lofty standard and would be an inflexible judge by the other she opened her arms to the suffering and banished from her heart no one whom that heart could succour the loveliest hand in the whole world said hubert tracing the veins and outlining the fingers after he had kissed it as a saint might kiss a relic but also as a lover kisses the hand of the beloved said by the most unblushing flatterer in the whole world laughed naomi love cannot flatter he answered looking at her with eyes as full of admiration as those roses at her throat were full of colour and perfume i think it does nothing else she returned still laughing she was so happy that everything made her laugh like a child the whole earth seemed to be one great throb of joy then all you say to me is flattery eh said hubert ah sweet my sweet you put yourself into a cleft stick how will you get out of it but i never do flatter you as you flatter me she said when did i tell you that this thing about you was so beautiful and that so charming never if you have not in so many words you have twenty times by those great grey eyes of yours he answered with mock self-complacency i know you admire me immensely and think me no end of a fine fellow so we are quits after all only i am the most candid i do not agree to that not the least in the world she cried with commendable energy again hubert's face changed why was he so sensitive to-day the fun passed out of it for pain to take its place what you do not love me as much as i love you he said in a disturbed voice you tell me that seriously naomi she turned to him with a mocking little mouth and mischievous arched brows meaning to carry on the play lovers find nothing too silly as the medium of verbal caressing and silly as was this little interlude it served its purpose but her mocking smile and saucy answer died on her lips there was something in her lover's face not to be met by a joke love you hubert as much as you love me she repeated do you need to ask then with a sudden blush and the sweetest loveliest air of self-surrender she added both her hands now on one of his yes i do love you as much as you love me if love could be weighed as we weighed the honeycomb yesterday perhaps mine would be the most that is impossible naomi he answered gravely you might as well say you could add to infinity or lengthen eternity he put his disengaged arm around her and drew her to him you my darling my own darling he said all his heart and his voice i love you as i never loved living woman before naomi caught at the words that black drop which we all have in our hearts under different names and shapes was in hers a certain form of jealousy the jealousy the exactingness of a pure and inexperienced woman demanding as much as she gave then you have loved before she said a little coldly instinctively taking away her hand not as i love you he answered 
trying to cover his mistake by extra fervor i love you as no man ever loved since the world began you do not know what i feel for you naomi you are like god in heaven to me you are my good angel and god gave you to me i love you darling almost more than a man should more than is well for my peace his passion gained her what woman could have resisted give me your peace i will take care of it she said with infinite tenderness if we love each other hubert no harm can come to us nothing but death can separate us and even that will not divide us nothing but death you swear that he said only death will separate us naomi and even that will not divide us yes she answered solemnly i swear it without reservation what reservation should i have she returned with an incredulous little smile the only reservation would be if you had loved anyone else as you love me or had done anything wrong and that is too absurd to imagine she looked at him with her soft gray eyes as full of womanly love as his had been of the man's stronger passion he was right those eyes expressed her admiration of him as plainly as if her lips had uttered all that was in her heart of praise and him to his honor to her he was the perfect man flawless faultless and she was not ashamed to show what she would not have dared to say the remembrance of that past sin flowed like the salt waters of tears over his head like a spectre mariquita del mare again seemed to float before him filling the whole air with her baleful beauty but for his best exorcism he looked again into naomi's upturned face and soothed himself with that futile anodyne she will never know the tie between these two young people had in it something more than love for hubert at the risk of his own life had saved that of geoffrey ponsonby naomi's only brother and thus the acquaintance which then began was founded on the deepest feelings of our human nature to the ponsonbys hubert was an incarnation of divine power to whom they owed anew that beloved life so nearly lost while to him they had the claim which conferring a benefit establishes on him who confers it they gave him the devotion of gratitude but he gave them the even stronger feelings of responsibility the life he had saved he felt in some measure belonged to him to care for and as he was eight years older than geoffrey thirty to the younger man's two-and-twenty he took his obligation seriously and was like the boy's elder brother even before his engagement with naomi gave him the additional right of future relationship all things come to an end and this lovely idyll had to end with the rest the westering sun brought with its slanting rays the prosaic claims of dinner and domestic life generally and the young people had nothing for it but to go back to ivy lodge and do the best they could with the veranda and the moonlight against the background of the lighted room where gentle mrs ponsonby played patience by herself and thought of the time when she too had sat out in the summer moonlight with her beloved as happy as naomi was now and they came to the house they were met at the door by mrs ponsonby in a state of unusual excitement what is it mother asked naomi who had that double sense 
which is given by keen perceptions. "'I have had a letter from Jeff,' said Mrs. Ponsonby, a little breathlessly. "'Well, what? What does he say?' asked Hubert. "'Such a foolish boy, so foolish and so wrong. He has engaged himself to a lady whom he confesses to be older than himself, and a widow, too. It is madness.' "'Who is she?' again asked Hubert. "'An American,' was the answer. "'What American?' he asked quickly. He shivered slightly, as once before to-day, on the sands. "'A Mrs. Merlier,' was the answer. Hubert drew a deep breath, and the blood came back into his face. "'Geoffrey says she is wonderfully beautiful,' the mother went on to say, "'and as good as she is lovely. She is very well connected, belongs to an old Virginian family, and has money of her own, so that, as he says, she does not take him for his. At all events there it is. And now what am I to do? I cannot allow it to go on,' she added, woman-like answering her own question. But what am I to do? Opposition to a thing of this kind does not do much good, said Hubert. Men have to wear through their own experiences. But he is not a man. He is only a boy, cried Mrs. Ponsonby. He has had no experience of life. Beyond that, to be had at Cambridge, which cannot be much. He is not accustomed yet to the management of the estate, and the idea of an engagement at his age, and with a widow older than himself, is preposterous. It cannot be allowed. I will not allow it. If he loves her, my dear, he will not break with her, even though a mother disapproves, said Hubert. Why should he? That is the first thing he will say to himself. If he has committed himself and gained her affections, he is so far bound to her by honour. And if she has money and all that and is of known rank and parentage, and there is nothing against her, why should he break with her because he is only twenty-two? That is a fault which cures itself every day. You see, we must look at it from his point of view, not only our own. To you and to us all it may be foolish and premature, but to him it is the sublimest wisdom and an honourable engagement." "'Then do you advise me to countenance such criminal absurdity?' said Mrs. Ponsonby hotly. "'For the present, in a fashion, sprinkling a little cold water judiciously and not going in for a shower-bath,' he answered. "'A boy of Jeff's age wants more careful guidance than a man. He has to be led very gently, very tenderly, and the thread must be of silk and invisible.' "'That is so true,' said Naomi, to whom Hubert was incarnate wisdom. She would have said the same, however, had he advocated strenuous opposition and parental coercion, so that her opinion was not of much value. But Mrs. Ponsonby still fumed, and the only ray of comfort that she could find in the present distressful moment was when Hubert promised to write very seriously to her boy, and to begin that process of judicious sprinkling which he advised her to adopt. But, above all, he was to find out everything there was to know about this Mrs. Merlier, this beautiful American with money, this widow a little older than the unmatured and well-endowed young man she had condescended to accept as her future husband, with which promise the poor woman was forced to be content, though indeed there was not much content 
for any one for after this question of geoffrey and his fascinating widow had been so far arranged and hubert had time to look at his own letters he found one from his lawyer which cut short his stay at ivy lodge and sent him back at once to cumberland where his place was it was a letter which admitted of no denial and of business which admitted of no delay he must pack up to-night and be off by the first train to-morrow morning those sweet idyls on the sands rudely and roughly interrupted and his beloved left to the cold keeping of resignation all lovers partings are sad and their melancholy forebodings are as universal as the tears which express and the kisses which seem rather to confirm than to banish them it was to naomi and to hubert too as if their sun had set forever there was no more daylight for them and no more summer the chill of death had fallen on their happiness for at the best their letters would be only a kind of twilight only the autumn flush for the summer glory but it had to be done and he must go the time of probation would soon be over now this was august and they would be married in october two months an eternity to the separated and impatient young but to the more accurate reckoners of time a mere nothing so they tried to comfort each other as with trembling voices and pale lips they bade each other farewell and said it will not be for long geoffrey's answer to the coldly cautious letter of his mother was characteristic of his boyish love to her diplomacy he opposed the impetuosity of a first passion and the blindness of unlimited trust his eyes were filled with but the one light and like a newly converted zealot he was anxious that she should share in the grace he had gained without giving time for denial he announced his arrival with his future bride that very evening to see her was to love her he said and the best excuse he could offer for what might seem his rashness in engaging himself at his age was herself wherefore his mother and naomi must expect them that evening and he knew that in his visit hurried and unceremonious as it was he had done the best thing for them and for her and that they would congratulate him on his good fortune in securing the most beautiful and the noblest woman on the face of the earth no answer could be given to this letter and to telegraph a refusal that should meet them midway and turn them back on their journey was not quite like gentle mrs ponsonby whose worst moods were merely fretfulness never rising into anger nor deepening into sullenness thus mother and sister had nothing for it but to make the best of things as they were and to hope that this new woman was really the phoenix geoffrey's love had painted her so far he had calculated rightly when mrs ponsonby and naomi came face to face with this fair marvel they no longer wondered at the boyish infatuation which had staked so heavily on love and trust she was so beautiful she was so graceful in all her movements so sweet and tender in her manner and yet so bright in speech and intelligence she had the loveliest little ways that ever woman had she said the most charming things and she had the daintiest accent half french half american that gave her voice which was naturally harsh and grating a kind of caressing intonation by which its native hardness was made as lovely as soft music her dress was a dern of art her face a poem of beauty 
she had bright golden hair very bright gold with dark eyebrows and dark lashes and the loveliest complexion of milk and roses her eyes were like stars quick glancing and of varying expression sometimes they were as holy as the saints and sometimes they were veiled as if with a substance letting not a thought not a feeling show through but varied as their expression was they were watchful eyes always watchful eyes that seemed to listen as well as see like those of men accustomed to danger and dependent for salvation on their own quickness of apprehension and clearness of prevision and the lashes cast the most curious little rim of blackness around the lids and the red of her lips was of the clearest and most sharply defined outline imaginable no blurring here no mingling of red and white through the disfiguring medium of tears nor even through the blush rose bruise of kisses altogether she was delightful splendidly delightful and the mother and daughter were fascinated as geoffrey knew they would be as years ago christabel was fascinated by the lady geraldine the small round table at the side was full of photographs side by side with naomi naomi following the mother and geoffrey was the portrait of hubert gainsborough mrs marillier looking over the room as strangers do came in due time to this table and the four photographs in one line she caught her breath as one suddenly surprised and the blood gathered round her heart though it did not leave her cheek nor her lips paler than before but she had the undaunted spirit of one playing for high stakes with the full consciousness of what she risked and what she might win and it was a principle with her to face her dangers on the instant is that another brother she asked quite naturally taking the photographs in her hand as if to examine them critically how good they all are but i did not know you had an elder brother geoffrey you never told me that i do not see much likeness however she added smilingly to mrs ponsonby he is not like you nor naomi nor my boy i forget to tell you about him said geoffrey i have forgotten everything of late no that is not a brother yet though he is almost more than one he is the dearest old fellow in the world hubert gainsborough and he is going to marry naomi oh said mrs marillier with a soft smile turning to her future sister-in-law how happy you must be if he is as lovely a man as mine and you are as content as i am you have nothing to complain of he is very nice and i am quite happy said naomi then they all laughed and the rest of the evening passed as such evenings do on velvet where the hours are wreathed with flowers and time is shod in gold but upstairs in her own room the woman who called herself mariquita marier had to face a very different state of things the ghost of her bad past had risen up before her when least expected and most unwelcome and she had to reason out her position and calculate her chances of escape from the dangers threatening her like wild beasts prowling round an open arbor can i dare it she thought or shall i give it all up will he have the cruelty the dishonor to betray me no he dare not his interests are as much at stake as mine we are both in the same boat if i am shipwrecked he will be swamped too 
for such ignorant innocence as these will see no difference between us i can tell my own story and will go hard with me if i do not cut the ground from under his feet if he is brutal enough to put a spoke in my wheel i will brave it and i will defy him he used to be fond of me and men who have once loved a woman as he loved me have always a soft spot left they are not like us the fools and i will take my chance she is perfectly lovely and fascinating to an extraordinary degree naomi wrote to her lover but both mother and i like her so much better when we are with her than when we do not see her i cannot explain why nor can mother but we feel when she is away from us that she is not quite so nice and we both have to be conquered again she always does conquer us yet i must confess it is very odd but do you not understand what i mean but she is so clever and she must be so good she talks a great deal about god and the noble life and how people have to live for others not themselves and to walk by the law of the spirit not of the mere intellect she is so she says of herself a mystic and i who am stupid do not always understand her but she is so sharp and clever she knows everything all we think and sometimes what we had not made clear to ourselves till she as it were interpreted our own thoughts i think she sees that odd change of feeling in us for she said yesterday to mother and me when we were walking in the garden the impression people make and the impression they leave are sometimes so different i have often felt the living charm of a personality and then a certain coldness and absence but i have always put the defect down to myself i think it is my own failing in sympathy some note wanting in my own chord of harmony not any want or failing in the person when i am with these people whom i love in presence and fall off from in absence their magnetism supplies my own deficiency and the full chord is sounded to the notes wanting to me are given by them so perhaps it is mother's and my own fault as she seemed to hint and she is very charming she says she is one year older than jeff twenty-three and she does not look more excepting at the end of the evening when she gets tired and she looks thirty and more and her face quite changes if she were not such a pure-hearted noble creature both mother and i would think she painted but we do not like to even imagine it because women who paint cannot possibly be nice and she is more than nice her husband was a stockbroker in san francisco and she has a pretty spanish name mariquita and i believe but i am not quite sure that her maiden name was delmer so now hubert understood it all what he had dimly feared was true and the woman whom he knew to be unfit for the companionship of even the ordinarily frail was the affianced wife of geoffrey ponsonby the boy for whose life he had made himself in a manner responsible the brother of his own future wife mariquita marier the sister-in-law of naomi mariquita the woman whom he had known as the wife of auguste delmer the ghost of the past had risen up against him the aftercrop was sprouting and the mills of god were grinding not slowly now this marriage must be prevented if it broke geoffrey's heart and his own he knew naomi's high standard of morality 
he knew too the strain of jealousy which lifted up her love from what else might have been something like the abjectness of devotion and gave it the dignity of self-respect she was utterly ignorant of life as it is and she was of the school which makes no distinction between men and women the little that she knew of vice all in the clouds as it was made the dereliction of the one as shameful as the abandonment of the other and it had not been hubert's duty to enlighten her he therefore knew how she could feel and where he should stand it would be the overthrowing evidence and perhaps her love would go with her ideal she had often said that her love for him was so great because of her respect her perfect man as he was what would it be when she found out how imperfect he had been jealous as well as pure when she learned that he had loved so passionately and sinned so deeply what would she do and if even she forgave him but she would not would not the bloom of her nature of her very love be gone would it not be like the violation of her soul and the acceptance of his sin because she had lost her virginal horror of evil still it had to be done come what would he must be so far faithful to that higher law which sacrifices ease and happiness and love itself to duty and the right it was impossible to go to ivy lodge for the next day or two but hubert wrote to geoffrey asking him what he knew of the fascinating widow other than by her own report where he had met her who had vouched for her what he knew of her past history her family her money itself had he had any corroboration of her own story or had he taken everything on trust the world was full of these desultory women these quasi-adventuresses who thought to efface in a foreign country the tainted record of their own he must be quite sure who it was he was trusting and who it was he proposed to give as a daughter to his mother and a sister to naomi the boy wrote back a fiery letter as was to be expected to have saved his life from drowning did not entitle hubert to doubt his beloved one of the noblest purest most saintly women that ever lived if he heard her talk as she did last night he would know then what a priceless treasure he geoffrey had found and would blush for his base suspicions besides he geoffrey was satisfied and he was the person most nearly concerned his marriage was to take place now at once there was nothing to wait for and his mother had consented she saw the exquisite loveliness the rare nobility of mariquita's nature and naomi too loved her yet sweet good girl as naomi was she was not equal to mariquita in sublimity of thought hubert would love her too he must come now at once to ivy lodge and join the circle of worshippers he could not resist no one could the lad blew off the steam as he wrote and by the time he ended he got through his anger and was once more the old joyous irresponsible boy lover who saw no dangers and no difficulties anywhere he was so happy that he could afford to be magnanimous and to forgive the insult of the doubt how well hubert knew it all the false modesties the artificial refinement the high poetic moralities said beneath the moon the lies deceptions devilries practised in the face of day the cleverness which made infamy look like purity overcome by love and gave to the putrescent shimmer of corruption 
the glory of god's own son he knew it all and understood the net in which she had taken those dear ones in their quiet devonshire home for had he not himself once been held fast even as the boy was held now as naomi and her mother were held they met alone on the sands where he had sat with naomi on that blessed day of summer only so short a time ago by the passage of the days but so long long as eternity by the dating of events i give you your choice he said leave the house as you like secretly or openly take your own way of rapture but break the engagement and set the boy free at any cost or i will break it by telling all i know in the former way you keep your fair fame here in the latter you lose it this marriage is to be cancelled in either case by the first mr hubert gainsborough escapes scot-free by the second he suffers with me said mariquita quietly that i know and am prepared for was hubert's answer and companionship and misfortune is pleasant she returned if you are really set on this absurd bit of quixotism you shall smart for it mon cher i am not disposed to be made the scapegoat and sent into the wilderness carrying your sins as well as my own we will go together hubert i am ready said hubert sternly to give up naomi to give up naomi that i may save geoffrey she laughed in a mocking kind of way you were not such a tepid lover to me she said i do not think you would have given up me for any such highfalutin morality at least i know that mr delmere my husband then in the seventh commandment did not terrify you i did not give you up till i knew you said hubert while i believed in you i would have gone down into hell for you to have died for you would have been easy and i for you she said suddenly changing her tone for i loved you hubert loved you faithfully loved you as i never loved before nor have since i had to deceive you bad as i was how could i tell my sad story to a man so young as you were then with all your illusions unbroken it would have killed you i loved you my darling and you loved me will not the memory of that love soften you i want only the opportunity to be good i am not bad at heart i never was i have been the victim of a cruel fate and the sport of circumstances but i was never really vicious help me to redeem myself and to make Geoffrey's life blessed as i can and will make it he will never know i will be so good to him help me hubert for old time's sake she spoke with inconceivable passion her words flowed like a stream of fiery lava and as she uttered her last appeal she knelt on the sands at his feet and took his hand in both of hers carrying it to her lips lovely in her passion graceful in her self-abandonment with the eloquence of despair in her voice and manner with the wonderful magnetism of her nature shining in her eyes and drawing out the very heart of her hearer she was at this moment as dangerous to hubert's resolve as she had formerly been to his soul her appeal was one which touches every true man to help her to be good to help her to redeem herself to lift her from the mire where as she said a cruel fate had cast her where he himself had helped to fling her and set her cleansed among the shining ranks of the redeemed if he would not if for the shadowy idealism of exclusiveness 
he failed to do the real good laid before him to do genuine tears came into her eyes her painted lips quivered with a genuine emotion hubert put his hand over his eyes he was trembling like a leaf for the task was very hard it cannot be he said with a sob for her sake and his i must not a boat drifted noiselessly round the headland and naomi and geoffrey sprang on shore god in heaven what does this mean cried geoffrey dashing up the beach to seize hubert by the throat naomi stood where she was paralyzed as if in a dream mariquita started to her feet she read her doom in hubert's face now stern and stiffened as if carved in stone and she knew that the game was lost i was rehearsing an old play with my former lover hubert gainsborough she said in her hard harsh strident voice the man who seduced me when i was auguste delmer's wife years had passed since his bolt fell from the blue and shattered the lives of all concerned how often the summer had faded into the autumn and the autumn had died into winter since then and what tragedies had wrought out their course to the end geoffrey's lifeless body cast up by the tide how drowned whether by accident or design no one ever knew the beautiful woman by whom had been wrought all this woe dead of misery and want stranded like so much driftwood on the shores of time and disease naomi and her mother like dim spectres of their former selves wandering restlessly aimlessly joylessly through the world hubert banished like another adam from the paradise where he had lived with love and walked with god all the roses dead all the sunlight gone what a term of isolation what a blank life was to the three remaining the two had found their rest in the grave were happier than those who still lived beneath the sky sorrow shame futile despair and his futile repentance what an aftercrop of that bitter harvest of youthful folly ought i to have pardoned him said naomi often to herself but hubert never asked his heart ought i to have concealed it cost all it had it was better than the life of deception the whitewashing of infamy and the association of naomi and geoffrey with the wife of auguste Domer, the widow of merlier the stockbroker of san francisco long parted they met again one winter moonlight night in the Colosseum at rome this place of death and ruin filled with the memories of love joy glory and martyrdom all buried deep in the past it was the fitting place for them to meet and it was the fitting time night for day winter for summer the pale moon which threw black fantastic shadows on a ruin for the glorious sun which had touched all living nature with gold and color when they met it was almost as if they two were ghosts of the rest but that momentary hesitation of each passed like a cloud and their hands clasped one the other too frankly for even the shadow of doubt shall we never bury our dead naomi he asked will you never forgive me never reinstate me not while she lives she stands between us said naomi but she spoke faintly and as if with reluctance she is dead he answered only the ghost of the past divides us is that as strong as the living present can i ever trust or believe you again she asked sadly 
the anguish of all these years gives assurance yes he returned oh naomi did you not swear to be always true to me always always and through everything i have been true she said i have never loved any one else not for a moment but if you love me she turned away her head she did not wish the moonlight to shine on the tears that came into her eyes he took her hands and drew them up to his breast and she did not resist but if you love me he said again very gently she hesitated her heart beating fast her bosom palpitating then suddenly with the old sweet action of self-surrender she turned to him looking at him with the same eyes of love as used to look at him in the summer-time so long ago i have always loved you hubert she said softly and i have never ceased to pray for you perhaps god has heard me and has given us back to each other as an answer to my prayers for pardon pardon for myself as well as for you perhaps i was too hard will you accept my repentance end of section seven recording by greg giordano newport ritchie florida